This is James Falk here. After this podcast aired, we realized there was a misstatement about Brius's purchase of the Humboldt County Skilled Nursing Facilities. The legal battle over the 2011 lawsuit bankrupted the previous owner, meaning they only paid a portion of the settlement. The sale of the homes to Brius exempted the facilities from adhering to the terms of the settlement. We regret the error. Welcome to episode three of What's Wrong with Humboldt and How to Fix It, produced in association with Headline Humboldt and Keat TV. Thank you so much. I'm James Falk here with my cohort and partner, Linda Stansberry. We are taking on a serious issue in Humboldt County and elsewhere um, with skilled nursing facilities. In particular, we have um, a rather poor situation um, in Humboldt County with several of the facilities, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, that's correct. This is Linda Stansberry. So basically, we have a monopoly owner of all of our skilled nursing facilities. There are four total facilities in Humboldt. I'm excluding a 12-bed facility in Garberville, which is uh, independently run. But the four facilities we do have, which take in people when they've been released from the hospital and need um, rehabilitation treatment, and they also take long-term care patients with extreme medical needs, they're all owned by the same person. And the quality of care has been steadily declining over the last decade. Yeah, and Linda has been um, on this story for seven years, something like that. Yeah. Um, starting at the North Coast Journal, and she's followed it throughout her career. So we're uh, this is a privilege to have her. Um, this is part partly her podcast, but this is her baby in terms of uh, a story. So um, I think this is going to be educational for all of us. So who is the owner and how how did he get in the situation where he has the monopoly in Humboldt County? Well, the owner's name is Shlomo Rechnitz, and he is a Los Angeles-based billionaire. He owns Brius Healthcare, which owns um, around 80 skilled nursing facilities across California, and they're run through a kind of uh, network of shadow companies, LLCs, that uh, shield the company from liability and litigation uh, through this, you know, network of chains. Yeah, it's basically the kind of corporate um, whack-a-mole that you see even with uh, people funneling funds through um, tax havens and whatnot. Um, and he's doing it to, to avoid apparent responsibility. So what are the issues um, with these homes? You mentioned that our quality of care has gone down over the past several years. Uh, how has that manifested for folks and, and why? Right. So this is actually a story uh, with a, uh, th- there is a really long backstory here. And I should say past 10 years, 20 years, maybe. So he took control of these facilities in 2011 when there was a actually ground breaking case of um, the previous owners being sued for lack of quality of care and um, lack of adequate staffing in those facilities. Instead of paying the uh, families of the patients who were neglected in those facilities, they managed to sell the facilities to this new owner, Shlomo Rechnitz, and ultimately avoid paying the amount that they uh, were, the families were supposed to be awarded for the court. So that's when he became the owner, along with Brius Healthcare. In term- so when he took it over, it was already problematic. It was already problematic. And there's some great reporting from back in the day by your former colleague, Matt Drange, mm-hmm. and uh, my former colleague at the North Coast Journal, Carrie Peyton Dahlberg. So this has been going on for a while. After this uh, most recent story broke, uh, which is called Profit and Pain in uh, the North Coast Journal, it came out in November 
I had a friend contact me uh, via social media to say that he worked for one of those facilities 20 years ago when he was just a, a teenager and he would leave crying after working the night shift every morning because he just couldn't provide his patients with the quality of care they deserved. He had something like 40 patients and he was, you know, one teenage kid who was responsible for making sure they had all their needs met. So having their their undergarments changed, turning them in beds so they wouldn't develop pressure sores, making sure they were able to get their medications adequately, making sure they had adequate pain medication. These are problems that are ongoing. Uh, they're problems that came out through state reporting in 2015, 2016, when I first started working on this. And they're problems which were exacerbated during the COVID-19 pandemic. Of course, yeah. A large reason that was the case, like a large reason uh, these problems escalated across state facilities is because without adequate staffing, families and advocates become a safety net for people in these facilities. And they were not allowed in during the pandemic because yeah. of safety regulations. So according to uh, Tony Chikatel, who is a lawyer with California Advocates Nursing Home Reform, they saw a an escalation in deaths that were not COVID related. So uh, deaths basically from neglect and other, you know, co-occurring disorders. That's system wide? System wide yeah. across California. Uh, and this, you know, this problem isn't exclusive to Humboldt County. Um, the unique thing in Humboldt County, you might say, is that, again, patients here don't have a lot of choice. If you don't have adequate means to get into a facility out of the county, that this is probably where you're going to end up. And sometimes that's honestly, if you're lucky, you'll end up someplace close to home because periodically they stop taking patients because they're not adequately staffed. They can't take more patients. So you might end up in a facility in Redding in Sacramento and Santa Rosa, you know, hundreds of miles away from your family. But let me back up really quickly because, sure. you know, I want to talk a little bit about the, the funding issue, which was uh, one of the crux, like one of the major things about my investigation. But I also want to talk a little bit about what state investigators saw when they finally returned to these facilities in 2022. So they resumed investigations of these facilities. And what they found was just a shocking degree of resident neglect due to understaffing. They saw people who were in screaming awful pain because they weren't getting their pain medications, in large part due to the fact that people weren't notifying doctors that they needed an increase in their pain medications. Yeah. Is this locally or is this, again, California-wide? Th this is locally here in wow. Humboldt County. Okay. So we're talking about, you know, your friends, your neighbors, your grandfather, yeah. your grandmother, um, <clears throat> people who have are in really fragile medical conditions. They saw patients who had um, bladder infections because they were improperly catheterized or that they're... Um, their catheter bags weren't being changed, so, you know, their catheter bags were um, orange, they were bloody. They saw patients who weren't turned adequately and who weren't monitored for pressure sores, so their pressure sores, which um, it, it's a, something that happens to your skin when, you're, when you have to stay in one place. So there was one patient who was a paraplegic, he wasn't turned 
um, adequately or provided with a pressure relief mattress, and he developed pressure sores that, you know, were sores that ate into his muscle through the skin on multiple places in his body, including the bridge of his nose because no one took off his glasses. One patient had to be airlifted to a nearby hospital because he lit a cigarette with an open oxygen tube. I spent a lot of time reading these reports over the months of July and August and September and just taking multiple breaks because it is emotionally taxing. You know, it is one of the hardest stories that I have covered as a journalist, both this year and in previous years. It's heartbreaking what is happening. And I have to say that as a private citizen, I am really frustrated with the lack of response from the state, with the lack of response from Governor Newsom, who had an opportunity to sign into law a bill that may have improved conditions in these facilities. Um... As I said earlier, this has been going on for at least 20 years. Nothing has improved. Yeah. People are dying, and they're dying after suffering and being in pain for a long period of time. So I, I know I'm, I've been talking a lot, James, so ask, no, ask me is, anything. I am, no, you've, I'm riveted and um, uh, saddened by what I'm hearing. One of the things that... I want to find out from mm -hmm. what you're telling is what can be done to either bring attention to the issue or to, uh, I mean, obviously covering it in a, you know, a local paper is, is huge, um, but how do we get this in front of the regulators so they can see what um, people are being subjected to? Where's that discontinuity, I guess, in getting the attention it deserves? James, the regulators know. Yeah. Like I said, all this, all well, this information was... Well, there's between knowing and having it shoved in your face in a public way where you can't avoid... I have been shoving this in their face in a public way for Good. six, seven years. Um, so what's the problem? The problem is nobody is fired up enough to actually do anything about it who's in power. Yeah. Like, you know, the people being most affected by this are people that we as a society have decided are an acceptable loss that we can just, you know, shove aside and, you know, shove into these homes. The solution to this is incredibly complicated and people don't like incredibly complicated problems. Yeah. Bottom line, I see this as a social justice issue. And as a society, we are spending more time paying attention to social justice now than we have in a while. And I think that this is one of the last groups to really be included in this holistic social justice movement that we're seeing. It's not very sexy, mm -hmm. I know, but it, it is really, really important. And I think one of the reasons this is a social justice issue is because we have a wider structural problem here that we need to address, which is for-profit health care. So... One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the major reasons we're having these issues is because these larger corporate owners are taking the money out of these facilities to pay themselves. You know, this is for-profit health care. So in 2016, I broke the story that the owner of these facilities, uh, Shlomo Rechnitz, uh, and his company, Brius Healthcare, was were paying themselves $5 million per year, essentially, in related party expenses. At the same time, they were trying to get the state 
the state organization who pays for Medi-Cal partnership health care, to pay them more money, saying that they couldn't retain employees because uh, they weren't making enough money to pay their employees market wage. Nobody wanted to work. Uh, and the amount of money they said they needed was equivalent to about $5 million. In the meantime, as I've said, they were paying companies that were also part of their wider corporate structure that money by doing things like buying medical supplies from a company they also owned, yeah. paying themselves rent through a third-party uh, leasing company on properties that they owned outright, and paying themselves consultancy fees and home office fees, you know, which came out to about, again, $5 million per year. So, like I said, I broke that story in 2016. People were allegedly outraged. You know, our, our state uh, representatives um, had some things to say about it. Actually, this year, Assemblymember Wood sent a bill to Governor Newsom's desk that would mandate these facilities spend 80% of their, of their state dollars directly on patient care instead of related party expenses. Yeah. Newsom turned it down. Oh. Was that the law you mentioned earlier? That is the law that I mentioned earlier. So that was really disheartening for a lot of advocates. Uh, that was Assembly Bill 2079. So when I heard about this bill and when I started reading through these state reports about the deteriorating conditions in these facilities, I decided to go back to these state reports that I'd looked into earlier talking about the uh, related party expenses. So these are basically tax forms that skilled nursing facilities file with the state every year with their profits and losses, and they're mandated to report how much money they paid to parties that are related to them. So while our backs were turned, while we were looking at this, the number of related parties connected to these facilities that are being paid almost doubled. And the amount of money that they have spent on themselves over the last four years is now $31.5 million. I wonder if that's as a result of COVID money that was coming in from various sources so they could keep it in. Wow. I don't know. I, I you know, I, I don't know. I just, um, I have a great spreadsheet that I spent a lot of time on. If any of our listeners uh, want to get dirty with me and take a look at that, and I can also tell you where to find the state reports. But um, one of my coworkers at, at the journal, where this was published in November, did the math, and you know that same amount of money, if you turn that into uh, staff salaries, you could pay your staff twenty dollars an hour. Yeah. You know, um, and improve our, our staffing levels. Now that's one of the things that um, was hanging out there for me. There's like two issues. Isn't there a labor issue also with mm -hmm. these places? How does that relate or does it um, with the, the issue of patient care and that sort of thing? You tell me, how much does someone make starting in and out these days? In a, well, that's, that's a lot more than most places. <laughs> um, I, a typical fast food joint would be minimum wage. So, I mean, but uh, in and out is, uh, I think, 18. That is how much certified nursing assistants are making at these facilities. Wow. For doing an incredibly hard job. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is all... It's one of the most taxing physical jobs. My mom was a mm -hmm. caretaker for years. No one walks out of there with a whole back. 
Nope. Um, you're ravaged by that kind of work, and it's always typically low pay, unfortunately. It is. And anecdotally, um, you know, what I'm hearing through some sources, some anonymous sources who work there is, you know, there are folks working there who are nodding off on the job, you know, who are actively using um, drugs and other stuff. That's nothing I can substantiate. That's just the rumor mill, but like, Those yes. places tend to atta- attract addicted personalities because there's a lot of narcotics floating through. There are, yeah. And so, you know, they will bring in, um, they, they will bring in folks like traveling nurses, traveling CNAs, so they can get their numbers up enough so they won't run afoul of the state. Um, Anecdotally, uh, some of the things reported was that these folks would not report to the floor, you know, to help to help with issues. There's an epidemiology component here, uh, an infection infectious disease component. Uh, there was a state report about a COVID infection that swept through the Fortuna facility. They didn't. It sounds as though they didn't have proper infection protocol when the state investigators came. The door was propped open. There was no one sitting at the front table where they're supposed to check people in and check their temperatures. And they hadn't kept up to date with with the folks who were being infected and being quarantined because as one person said, they're dropping like flies. Everyone's getting sick. I can't keep track of them. And, you know, I have to underscore again, we're talking about people who are incredibly physically vulnerable. We're talking about people who, as I mentioned, one person was paraplegic, people who are on oxygen machines, uh, people who, you know, are at the end of their lives Mm -hmm. and they have no one to care for them except the state. And the state, you know, I'm just gonna editorialize, you're freaking falling down on the job. Yeah. I, uh, you know, one thing that um, the, uh, what's wrong with Humboldt and how can we fix it? I mean, obviously that's a little mm-hmm. glib because how can you fix it? It's not waving a wand if it's going to fix something like mm-hmm. this. But what are the steps that need to happen that if our viewers or listeners want to, to write letters or somehow get involved, what would, should they be pushing for um, in terms of policy changes or what needs to happen in order to improve this situation? Well, I think that short term... The answer would be some sort of Army Corps of Engineers scale takeover of these facilities with properly trained folks who can give people the level of care that they need and make sure that people aren't dying from neglect. Yeah. I don't know if that's even possible, that's, but that's the only solution I can think of short term. Long Mercy, ter- one of those <laughs> Mercy yeah. ship kind of operations, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Long term, we need a spectrum of care for folks with medical needs, and I know there's at least one organization who's working to make that a reality, which is Life Plan Humboldt. Uh, full disclosure, I have been doing a little bit of writing for them on the side. I think that their mission is um, really admirable, and that is to provide a a location where people can age in place while receiving proper care and being close to their families. Mm-hmm. We need more nonprofit or not-for-profit um, institutions uh, to help folks in these situations that pay an adequate wage. So we need to create a model where this is possible, 
one of the things standing in the way is that the building standards to create a facility like this are incredibly high. Like it would be a really big lift uh, for any funder to create a facility where to create a skilled nursing facility, you know, with all the things you need to do to meet state regulations. The current facilities don't meet state state regulations in a lot of respects. A lot of things about those facilities are currently grandfathered in, but they are the best we currently have for this need. Um, and they're kind of falling down. Um, it doesn't seem as though the owner is putting money back into fixing them. I, I've heard reports of holes in doors, of uh, televisions not working, um, of there being mold in the ice machine. Just, you know, awful stuff. So if there was an angel investor who wanted to spend a lot of money on a state-of-the-art, state-qualified facility that could be up and running for, for a nonprofit or not-for-profit skilled nursing provider, mm -hmm. that would be amazing. Yeah. But honestly, this shouldn't be my job. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, just trying to give our viewers or listeners something to, that maybe they can do. But I think voting in the right direction mm -hmm. in terms of finding people who are addressing this issue and, um, you know, attentive to it as much as we can. Well, Jim Wood has been an amazing uh, advocate, mm -hmm. you know, for local health care options. Um, but... You know, there there is only so much that he can accomplish, and um, there are a lot of uh, factors that are, you know, holding us back from getting where we need to go, mm -hmm. including, you know, the um, Department of Public Health has um, added their input to a couple of bills that have really slowed them down. It that, That's bureaucracy, right? Uh, yes, it yeah. is, and it's unfortunate that there's so many layers of committees and mm -hmm. ultimately special interest groups who have things mm -hmm. that they want attached to these things as well. Um, one question I had for you, and I remember hearing about this a lot a few years ago, and it, I'm sure it hasn't gone away, but there's literally a bubble of baby boomers who are retiring, and mm -hmm. how much is that affecting the population right now in these facilities, and is that a pressure that might go away at some point? How to do you have any sense of that? I don't have a clear sense. I mean, the quote-unquote baby boomer bubble has been looming for it feels like 10, 20 years yes, now we've been talking absolutely. about it. Yeah. It is upon us. It's got to be. <laughs> my and mom is a boomer, and she is very retired, so that answers the question. My dad is a boomer, and he is very not retired mm -hmm. by choice. Mm -hmm. um, I knew... After the first time I visited one of these facilities, when I was about 19, I visited there as a volunteer, that I would never put my parents in one of those places. Yeah. I think that one thing we need to do is talk about this a lot earlier, mm -hmm. talk about options, save money, talk about the hard stuff we need to do to prepare for these things when we or our parents uh, need to make those kinds of decisions and have a plan, not just hope things will work out. The other thing is, James, we're in our 40s now. Ugh. Yeah. It's you, true. Yeah. And the right time to start preparing for this is now. Yeah, or 20 years ago. <laughs> or 20 years ago. But, like, I really feel like people our age have enormous responsibility. And, like, we have the information we need to actually build something better by the time that we might have, we might be faced with this question. And if we don't, 
we're really screwed. Yeah. Just quickly to point out, even mm-hmm. if you have the money for a really nice facility, mm-hmm. it'll wipe you off the planet financially. Yeah. I mean, it's like it, people have nice homes and they have uh, estates that they want to pass on to their kids, but they reach 70 years old and they um, can't really take care of themselves, so they check into a facility and uh-huh. by the time they're 85, there's nothing left. And their whole life's work is, is down the tube. I mean, we talk about nonprofit uh, skilled nursing facilities or care homes. I mean, uh, anytime that you can separate the the need to maximize profit and minimize expense um, from healthcare, I think mm-hmm. you're that's the only way to approach it ethically. I agree, and a lot of people are kind of pushed into a corner because they haven't made a plan and they haven't come up with um, with with a solution for themselves. So. Mm-hmm. They put off making a decision about what to do when they can no longer live safely in their own homes. And then something happens. Maybe they get injured or scammed or something. Mm -hmm. And they end up in one of these awful places against their will because they didn't plan ahead. Yeah. On that note, um, how should we wrap this up? You know, I would say get fired up. Yeah. Like I am... Every time I talk about this, I get so mad <laughs> and I get well, so and fired I'm right, up. I'm uh-huh. right in the middle of it. My mom is of, of an age. Yeah. My father-in-law is of an age and he was mm-hmm. just really sick and they're not um, in a home yet. Mm-hmm. And like, we're like you where we plan on moving in with uh, her dad if we can. And my mom is in a place that's sort of uh, half uh, Silvercrest. So mm-hmm. she gets a lot of support there. So she's content for now to stay there. But, um, you know, my parents are getting up an age, we're getting up an age, and our priorities are all out of whack when it comes to things like this. We should value the experience and the, the love relationships that these people represent and mm-hmm. um, invest more public dollar in it. I agree. And, you know, I think a lot of thoughtful people ask themselves how they would have handled situations in history that we know now are unjust Mm -hmm. you know we look back at history and we say you know how could we not know that this person was a dictator that was going to kill millions of people or how could we not know that this institutionalized injustice was wrong we are living in a time where similar things are happening and it is our responsibility to look at the current injustices that exist today and be the person we wish our ancestors had been. Absolutely. And I think this is one of those situations. Amen. Uh, This has been yet another episode of What's Wrong with Humboldt and How Can We Fix It? And um, thanks, Linda, for bringing that to us. That was by far the most meaty and, um, you know, consequential one that we've done so far. So I'm proud to have put a part of it. Thank so. you, James. Uh, you can count on me to ruin any dinner party you invite me to. This is classic. <laughs> Bummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bummer. we'll be on uh, Headline Humboldt coming up soon. So look for us in a week or two, and you'll see uh, an interview dedicated to the subject and more conversation. So thanks for watching. Thank you. Thank you.